If you're serious about betting, this is the podcast for you. Brought to you by Pinnacle.com, the Serious About Betting podcast features me, your host, Ben Cronin, and some of the biggest names and brightest minds in the world of betting. Today's guest is someone who will be well known to Pinnacle followers. He wrote his first article on betting resources back in 2014, and he's contributed many more fine articles since. He's an actuary, a lecturer, and he's spent years researching sports analytics, financial markets, and insurtech. A very warm welcome to Dominic Cortis. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for coming on, Dominic. It's a, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm really looking forward to today. How have you been? Is everything good with you? All's well over here. Um, we're in summer period over here, so it's time for research rather than just teaching. Glad to hear it. Um, right, so what we'll do today is, obviously, I think, given that you're you're an actuary, as I said in the intro there, and that the work that you've done for Pinnacle, there's a there's a lot of interesting ground that we can cover, and, and we will get onto that shortly. But what, what I like to do on these podcasts is just give a little bit of background into the guest if 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 people listening haven't actually read about your work on Pinnacle or or they don't know who you are or what you do so just by way of introduction how have you kind of got to where you are in your career now what kind of studies or what career path did you follow and, and where are you at now so I'm I'm an academic by trade and an actuary by training and I've been moving between the areas of academia and industry for quite a while now. And with respect to industry, I've been fluctuating between insurance and betting as well. So if I follow this the, the study path I had, I graduated as a maths teacher and then started an MSc in actuarial science and then went on to continue on a PhD. And at that point, even the different jobs I had, because I was doing my MSc on part-time, I was working in betting and working in, in insurance. And one of my first jobs in the betting industry was I was working with a new startup company. It had a, well, startup, it had a lot of offices in Germany. So it was a land-based um, company. And back then I was at, we, ha- we were physical traders. So for live games, we didn't have a live feed of odds coming in. We had to change the odds as we came, came around. And I used to, my job was to actually, I was the numbers guy, essentially. So if they have to analyze, does the Fergie moment exist? You know, like under Fergie in the last 10 minutes where they're more dangerous. And we have that question, we try to analyze it. And that helped me start to apply more the actuarial mathematics, the, the statistics and the financial techniques to betting markets. Um, I've been very lucky that with respect to academia and industry, I could move between the two. I am based in Malta and Malta, the betting industry is quite big. It contributes to 15% of our GDP. So to, to be able to find roles as a betting analyst was quite easy at the start. I guess it's a bit harder if you're in a location where the betting industry is at times frowned upon and not treated as, as an, a look and not treated as a and not treat this as an industry where you can develop from a mathematical perspective. I mean, it seems that, I mean, first and foremost, that little intro there, I think every listener's ears would have pricked about the the kind of insight that you can share and just learn about kind of what you've you've seen in the industry and, and obviously the academia side as well. But is is there a preference for you? Did you prefer the days of, of being a betting, betting analyst or do you now prefer the, the lecturer kind of work that you're doing and things like that? I cherish being a betting being a betting analyst to be fair and I really do it's it's exciting and it's more it you get to apply it directly but to be fair and so right now for example I'm consulting quite a lot in insurance when you compare the two areas they're not that different so let's let's take um Let's take a simple example. A simple example would be um, I purchase an insurance product that would pay me a fee if, say, a business partner falls sick or dies, a life insurance contract that pays out 100,000 that happens. What if I bet on someone to die? Let's say, I don't want to make any bad luck to anyone, but let's say I choose a president at random. Um, So what's the difference between the two? It's still the same logic that are being used. The main difference is there's insurable interest. When I'm when I'm placing, when I'm buying an insurance policy against something that might affect me directly, that's an insurance policy. If I'm 
betting on a third party event on an event that I have no effect on, then that's betting. But the mathematics is fairly similarly the same. The concept is the same. There's something in future that might happen, that might not, and there's a payout if it happens. Um, so I do cherish betting, but at, in the area that I'm working on, it's very similar. So it makes it easy to move between the two. Um, with respect to academia, the advantage of academia is that, in general, you have the flexibility to think. Um, so you have the flexibility to, to focus on different aspects. So if I wanted to focus on, say, a very silly aspect on calculating how, what type of bread pigeons prefer, I mean, possibly there's someone doing that research, but anyway, and I could I could actually sit off the window and build a mathematical model. How use of it, it there's not much use of it possibly, but I don't know. But you could do it. And um, while respect while you're working in industry, obviously you're restricted if you're being given a project, you have to do that particular project. And um, although some major companies, not betting companies like Google, they tend to give a day a week in which someone can focus on a, any project that they want. And you know, Google Maps, for example, was developed as this side project that a group of guys were working on independently. So I, I cherish the betting area. Um, the betting industry quite a bit, but I, I feel lucky that I work in academia, that I have the flexibility to focus maybe on possible dead ends, but it gives me the flexibility to work, to 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 think. And I, I guess you've you've kind of earned that flexibility through the the studies and the becoming an actuary and things like that. And it's it's one of those ones we've we've had an actu actuary on before with Matt, aka Plus EV Analytics. I mean, he's a a very smart guy. He's written some good stuff for us. He's he's recently started his own blog as well. That's that's well worth a read. But when he was on the podcast, we talked a little bit about this kind of. I mean, it's almost like a mystique around what actually an actuary is. And I know a lot of people know you, you deal in risk and statistics, and it's it's all about kind of the uncertainties and things like that. But for anyone who isn't aware, or for anyone that needs a a simplistic summary of, of what an actuary is. Could you maybe just explain that for us? I guess if, if you Google it, you're going to get someone who measures and manages risk. Um, actuaries tend to be classically non-risk takers. They sit in the back offices of life insurances and, I mean, of other insurances as well, but traditionally they started off in life insurances and where they calculate the premium. So your premium, your probability of death or survival, it depends what type of contract, depends on various factors. I mean, gender, for example, is a particular factor, although you cannot use it as a pricing in Europe, your age and other conditions. Um, so that's what a actuary typically does. Um, traditionally used to do. Now, actuaries have moved into other areas, general insurance, like your car insurance, um, um, extreme catastrophe events. So, for example, when we're talking about COVID-19, it was being treated as a surprise. But in a way, when you think about it, in hindsight, nothing is a surprise. But pandemics, there, there exists pandemic insurance, for example. So it, it, it's not that much of a surprise. Once in a while, a pandemic should come along. So if I had to look at what an actuary does in, in, uh, in day to day work, they tend to focus, they tend to work either in life, health, pensions, non-life or catastrophe. Some of them are moving in new areas like, well, as I said, betting. Um, and sometimes you do find betting roles that they're looking for analysis and they say in the job description, you know, actuarial expertise would be considered or would be appreciated. When respect to an actual what they do, they tend to focus in one of these three areas or even a little bit four, a little bit of all. It depends on the size of the company. Pricing. So, for example, how would you price your car insurance or your property insurance or what have you? Reserving. How much, how much money should the company reserve to be able to pay off its claims and funding? Now, Let's let's use car example, car insurance as an example. So when you purchase your car insurance, it's based on various factors. Those various factors include your age, type of car, the color of the car, maybe at times the model of the car, where you live, because some areas are more prone to to danger um, to being stolen. For example, where you park your car overnight, and so on and so forth. With respect, so there's a definite price for each individual. With respect to reserving, a reserving actuary would say, would look at how the claims are developing. And depending on the, how the claims are developing, uh, the actuary would actually set a reserve. 
whatever it is, 1 million, 2 million, 3 million. Now, when you have, you know, the law of large numbers apply. So when you have a large number of cars, you actually know what's going on. But for each individual car, for each possible accident, you have many scenarios. I mean, typically, you don't have any accidents. In most cases, you might have an accident, which is a bumper to bumper. You know, it will be fixed in, within two months at most. But maybe someone got injured and liability is being disputed in court. That can take years. And the sums will actually be quite high, especially if you have to pay for that individual's loss of income. But let's think of an, ex an exaggerated example. Someone might have parked, stopped the car in the middle of a railway, a, a train um, hit the car and it derailed. That's an actual case that happened and it ran into, let's say, tens of millions. So you really need to think about these extreme events as well. This is like looking at it from a betting perspective and thinking over the long shot. And then actually is actually look at funding. So once I have my income and I know my outcome, how can I match these and juggle these together? Now, the respect that comes for actuaries usually and is that it's very rigorous and long to become an actuary. The number of exams to be passed, the number amount of training, it takes quite long to be able to call yourself an actuary. So in a way, it it is quite a high standard to be reached. Um, and I believe that the nature of an actuary helps us a lot to work in betting. You'll if you Google actuary and betting, you'll find quite a number of actuaries have moved in this area. Yeah, well, I know certainly there's a lot of sports bettors out there. You start talking about life insurance car insurance it's they they maybe switch off and, and get bored but really they're they're a lot more closely connected than a lot of people give them credit for but it's in it when you're dealing in the world the world of insurance and things like that the difference between the potential of a, a car crashing and maybe the potential of a soccer team winning a match like d do you think of those two things as, as one in the same in, in terms of your approach and it's just a case of changing the variables or the inputs or things like that? Or is there like a different approach that needs to be taken? And although you're you're using data and statistics, like there's obvious tweaking that has to go on for those those different industries or, or the different subject matter. It it also affects what and I think this is something that Matt has hit on as well. Um, the position you're taking. So if you're an actuary and I'm pricing, let's say that um, we know that individuals who are 38, for some reason, they're more risk-taking individuals. I'm just inventing a stat, okay? And we don't factor it in, in our pricing, whatever it is, um, car, health, or what have you. Then if 38-year-olds are aware of this, they are more likely to purchase insurance from us. So we're being selected against. Um, so there's that element of behavioral control and it's harder as well to, it's well it depends on the market but in some markets it's harder to compare pricing so for example in the uk there are price comparison sites for car insurance but in the us they're just catching up but in other countries like say malta you have to go through different brokers and ask at different prices well from an insurance perspective well from a betting perspective um in most cases we're sitting from the side of the better so we 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 we, we make the selection in a way, we make the selection against the, the the betting site or the bookmaker, and it's much easier to compare pricing. So if, for example, let's say a company, a betting company, a betting is, is pricing a particular set of odds incorrectly, you can actually create arbitrage. While in, in insurance, you cannot just say, okay, I'll purchase my insurance from this guy, but sell it to the other guy. You, you, you cannot do that process. So there is more element of behavioral um, application in, in, in uh, well, I, I guess not more application. It's a different type of behavioral application between the two. And the other case is that betting is more short term. You get to see the results quite fast. Um, odds for events that are occurring in four years time, you know, they don't, they exist, but they're not that popular maybe who will be the next US president. Um, but otherwise, with respect to insurance, you can actually purchase a policy, which is, you know, will you die over the next 40 years? So there's a completely different element of timeline. Well, I mean, clear clear similarities and, and obviously clear differences as well. But so for you, where did the where did the interest in betting markets come from? Was it 
was it this personal interest because i don't know you're interested in sport and then obviously that lines up with your your kind of mindset and how you think and and things like that or was it purely to do with um probability and and thinking about can i work out like can i predict these events and stuff like that okay um so i, I... I always had a sort of an element of playfulness with numbers. I always like to play with number. And, you know, when sometimes when you meet individuals, especially even young individuals, 13, 14 year olds, as you probably know individuals like that in your own class. I remember people in my own class who used to say, listen, I want to become a doctor or I want to become a lawyer or I want to become, and, and most of them got it, or I want to become an entrepreneur. All I knew is I wanted to, I wanted to be with numbers. I didn't know what it was, but I, didn't, I, I knew I wanted to deal with numbers. And I was lucky enough to find a job in, in betting. So, And I learned from quite experienced traders and the old style traders, the mathematical traders, on how markets work and how markets function and how they, how they believe things should work out. And I, my job was to prove that mathematically, and they were right in almost every case. But then, I mean, if I had to choose one moment, it was during my PhD. So in my phase of my PhD, I was working on deriving the risk of exotic derivatives for a big investment bank. So really fancy maths and and we're looking at Asian American Bermudan swaptions. Sounds fancy and it is in a way. And it was Euro 2012 at that time. And, you know, at the end of the day, we were watching a match and Everyone was doing maths and knew, I mean, not everyone, I was in a small group and there was a professor in a pure mathematics who loved football. And as soon as he realized I used to work as a trader, started asking me some questions. And, you know, so why this, why that, what happens? If, and some of them I couldn't, most of them I couldn't answer, to be fair. And at that stage, I went back home and the next day I said, oh, I can, I can actually, actually that evening, not the next day, I can actually probably code this. So I started using the same techniques I was using in financial, well, financial maths, not actuarial maths per se, to code some markets, some betting markets. I actually went six months later on the professor and gave him sort of said, hey, I have this, I can answer your questions. He told me, what questions are these that I ask about? So, oh, well, thank you anyway. But that's what made me realize, like, listen, I could have an academic career in it. And, and for the first year or two of BPH, I was playing between the two areas i was i was really keeping the betting part as a hobby on the side but then i mean my publications are mostly um there are more publications on betting than there are on insurance and technology and my phd ended up being a betting based phd well i mean the so the clear interest in it from you and it's it's kind of understanding how those markets work trying to predict those markets and stuff like that so i think the obvious question a lot of people are going to have is if you you have all this knowledge of how the markets operate and, and potentially then how to how to beat those markets. Do you or have you bet yourself? Is it something you do or is it something because of the field you're in? It's it's something that you you wouldn't then get involved in as well on a on a personal level. I am involved in it on a personal level, not at the stage to earn a living of it. Um I I, I think in some let I, I, it's easier to talk in hindsight, I guess. And in hindsight, uh, most, most, by the way, most behavioral research shows that people talk only about successes rather than failures. So probably I'm biased in that respect. But um, I think one of the clear cases that it was easy to bet and easy to win is when Leicester won the league. I mean, not at the, the initial start of the 5,000 to 1 or what have you odds, but as long as, as January started that year, um, Leicester were doing well, all the other teams weren't, and the market was clearly, the markets were clearly not giving Leicester a chance. They were actually saying, listen, Arsenal could, should win it, um, but that didn't make sense in any way. So that was a clear case in which I mean, maybe I used some advantage. Another case I remember with advantages, I remember I found the local street shops in Leicester had the betting shops, um, three of them had odds that you could create arbitrage. And I, I, I remember one of them looking at me dodgily when I said, you know, I went in, I said, listen, I want to bet 523, 500 pounds, 23 cents or what have you on Juventus winning the game. I said, oh, that's a very specific number. But, and there were two cases in like that. Um, my experience this year is that from what I'm seeing from my betting, I'm not doing that well, to be fair. 
so overall I did make I, I I make profitable but not at the amount that I would pay off a villa or what have you um, when you consider the amount of time taken to develop models to update models to you know actually bet and what have you it's then it doesn't become worthwhile it becomes more worthwhile to consult unless we're talking that you're using you know like half a million capital or what have you then it starts making sense but if you're starting with a low amount of capital it really doesn't you're really doing it for the fun of it in a way um so to answer your question yes i am a better if i look at my history i'm a profitable better am i profitable enough to live off it no but there are individuals who do that i know personally some individuals phd in stats who they focus full time on it yeah i don't know about a uh, getting a villa but i think not losing is almost being successful in betting so props to props to having a profitable account but do you so is it is it kind of aided by again going back to like your education and your profession to to kind of see those I don't know if you want to call it like a black swan event like like Leicester City winning the league and and identify that and jump on that or do you do you still kind of as and when you can develop the odd model or or work on things that potentially could be applied to betting markets for financial gain on your behalf I used to work mostly on developing models so me in 2014 I would have said listen I'm working on a model a fancy model and what have you now I'm aware that there are people who are better at coding who are probably have a team there are syndicates who have a team of five people who are coding all the time and who have more data and possibly and so in most cases people are using regression techniques or Poisson models uh, but the more you add data to it, the better, you know, the model should be, I guess. I tend nowadays to be a bit more lenient on using, say, four different models, not very, not not have them perfect models, but then see the range of possible results. So I tend to be somewhere between not automatic, not just automatic, but a bit subjective. And the reason is, uh, you know, input-output. So you could have the perfect model, but if your input parameters or your input data is not correct, uh, you're in trouble. Um, So I tend to focus on how do those change and how do the markets, and at times the markets do contradict each other. Um, But to beat the market per se on, say, for example, let's say there's a match and you try to predict the exact score, I think there are so many individuals who are better at it and have the be- have access to better data as well that probably it doesn't make sense to spend the time on it. You've been kind enough to to share some of that wisdom and insight in the form of of articles that you've you've written for pinnacle so we can let's talk a little bit about those and and maybe pull out your i say your favorites or maybe what you think are the most important because it's it's obviously very much focused around prediction models i think you've even written an article titled how to build a model um but and then you kind of also produce stuff that digs into to kind of how they work why they don't work and, and the functions of testing and things like that. I mean, the the Bria one, you've got the hurdle one. I know you've done a lot on standard deviation. So if you were to, out of your articles, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say now, if anyone hasn't read your stuff on Pinnacle, you can find your your author tab and each and every one of them is is worth a read. But if you were to pick three that you really said to to betters out there, you have to read these, you have to understand these, What what would you say? I would say one of them that describes, I forgot the title, how markets operate. So in a way, what is a betting exchange? You know, a bookmaker makes profit. So how is that profit derived? If you understand that, at least you understand what you're dealing with. And I mean, I'm not paid for the advertising, but you understand why Pinnacle is so strong because your betting margin is very low, which means the, the, the odds are fairer. And um, if I had to choose my favorite three, I guess you mentioned one of them is how to build a model. And I get many actuaries who read that and they say, oh, that's how it is studied in actuarial science because the steps are very similar. <laughs> it, it is an actuarial model in a way. Um, I was studying for an actuarial exam, I remember, and I said, oh, I can apply this. Um, 
one of my other articles, one of my favorite articles is I we analyzed Totti um, when he was resigning, when he was finishing his, his, on, on his last season, on how he affected uh, Roma when he came in as a substitute and whatnot. I, to be honest, I quite like the graphics that you had it on top. But I guess one of the my favorite is not just just how to build a model with an example. There's a tight there's one about errors, and I discuss parameter process and model errors because uh, this is a problem that we get in in any area. No model is perfect, and so what we really must understand is the limitations of that model or the limitations of any model. And I'm going to use a different example now. Let's say COVID nineteen. It's been a mess because there is no model. There's no perfect model to predict COVID-19. It's not, it's, it's, it's because it's, it's almost impossible. In hindsight, maybe now in two years time, we'll develop a model, but it's not like any other flu, for example. It, the same applies when it comes to predicting in soccer, predicting in, predicting in basketball, whatever. So you need to be aware what, what could make this answer incorrect. And I focus on three aspects over there. And one aspect is the actual natural deviation. Just because you predict team A versus team B to be through one, if your model is completely correct and if you had to replicate this game millions of times, it will not always end through one. It will end sometimes to zero, sometimes the other team will win. Otherwise, it would not be probability, it would be certainty. So there's a natural variability. So you need to be aware what is the natural variability? How can I measure it? And then there are articles you said standard deviation, how to measure it. The so that's called process error or natural variability. If you want the other method is what part if are there are there are there errors in the parameters that you use in the in the inputs that you gave in? Because maybe they're not updated or maybe they're too old. So, for example, if I have to predict team A versus team B, I'm again using soccer as an example, and for team A, you need to create an attacking strength. How many games should you go back? Should you consider home versus away? Did you consider five games, 10 games? Is the weather a factor? So, again, you need to be aware how much does my parameter affect my model. And the last thing is you need to understand the model because the model has some limitations as well. For example, a typical model that we use for many sports is the Poisson. There you have numerous articles, great articles about the Poisson. Um, but the Poisson has, and it, it's very much good to, it's very easy to apply and it makes a lot of sense. But the Poisson has one error and the error is, it assumes the same level of deviation throughout. But some team, one team could have a you know, could score on average three goals per game. The other team could score again three goals per game, but they're not equal. One of them is consistent, always two, three, and four goals, while the other could not score anything and the next time score eight goals. So you really need to, I really like that article because it actually discusses the limitations of your model. And you need to understand the limitations and ideally how to measure them a bit. Because if you predict something and in your prediction, there's a large possible deviation, then I wouldn't bet on it. And I probably... From the bookmaker's perspective, if there's a large deviation, you would try to use a bigger uh, bookmaker margin. Margin. I, th- I think that's a it's a really interesting point, and it, it kind of goes back to your you were saying earlier whether it's like the the behavioural side, psychology, or whatever, where people think about successes more than failures, or we're easy to it's easy to to pull back those positives um, from memories. But do you think a, a, a a fall down of betters or an issue amongst betters is the fact that when things go right, we're, we're so quick to to focus on, oh, I did that right. That was correct. I need to do more than that rather than think the other way and think, well, I did that right, but how can it be better? Where did things go wrong or, or why did that go wrong? Is that is that fair to say? Do you think that's that's one of the many pitfalls of, of being a better? Yes. And I, I guess it applies to every industry where you're trying to model something. Um in, 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 in sports, we're lucky that there are so many games occurring that we can actually find history and try to replicate it. I mean, it's a bit harder, for example, if I had to, how can you replicate COVID-19 again? You know, sort of, a, it's, it, it, you can't really do it. But even in sports, it gets very difficult to do. For example, let me give a, a simple example. Um, I was working on a model in 2014-15 on to predict the number of goals in a game. 
And I remember I was predicting Serie A, which is typically, although possibly wrongly known, to have low amount of goals, lower amount of goals scored because it's more defensive. It's not the case if you look at the stats, but let's say that's the case. And I had two teams facing each other and my model went crazy in a way. I mean, didn't couldn't even deal with reality. And I believe one of the team was Roma and I forgot the other team. So what had happened is these were two high-scoring teams, and when they usually met another team, they used to score two to three goals, which is quite a lot, to be fair. So the average would have been, I don't know, 2.4, what have you. But the problem is when they placed against each other, um, that should have been much higher because they were both playing quite offensive football, which, you know, in Italy, traditionally, you don't get to see that often. I mean things have changed, but you don't get to see as often. So what happened is for that game, it should have been a little bit higher. So irrespective of if 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 I if I wouldn't have lost some money on that game, I wouldn't even have noticed. I said, oh yeah, my model's perfect. But only after the event, you say, oh, I need to tweak this. I need to tweak a little bit with it. So I guess, yes, we do tend to do that quite a lot. Um, you need to, sometimes even when things are going well, you need to break them to rebuild them from scratch because there's always someone else who's doing it a little bit better. And I mean, in a, in addition to the, the articles that you've, you've done for Pinnacle and you, you mentioned just a few of them, are, as I said, I've, I can't iterate enough how, how they need to be read by, by anyone listening to this. Um, but you've also done because of the, the interesting betting markets, as you said, back from when that, that PhD was being done, you went away, did some extra homework to give your professor his answers, but there's there's a lot of research papers that you've done as well that that focus on sports betting and they're obviously going to be quite interesting to our listeners as well. So if we could just maybe talk a little bit about those um, and and kind of what you've learned from from spending a lot of time working with others to to develop those papers and and one of the ones that that really jumped out to me is there's a there's a paper where you focus on the the, the inefficiencies in, in derivatives. Um, so maybe just tell us a little bit about that kind of paper and, and what you learned from the research that you did for it. Okay, so that was the first paper I published that was answering the professor's question. And it was really about, uh, I focused on Euro 2012 and I focused on how did odds not, how were odds incorrect for that particular market? for that particular event. And what happens is when you have short events like World Cups or European Cups or Eurovision, if you wish, um, there's a lot of bettors who are casual bettors or emotional bettors. So there would be more fluctuations in how the odds how, how the odds should be. So for example, um, we know for a fact that um, English bettors tend to bet more than say continental bettors. So there will be more bets on England winning the whatever it is, World Cup or European Cup, than there would be on, I'm just invent any country at random, um, which actually may lead to the odds on England being a bit too unfair. Um, so in a sense, I'm saying maybe it makes sense always to bet against England in a way. So using this example, when you look at soccer um, and the English football team, it's always top ranked top five um, to win the World Cup. Okay, hindsight makes life easy. But realistically, was it always top five? You know, when you look at it, is it always top five? So part of it is what's being derived because of it's it's a popular market. The betting industry in England was years ago much more developed than everywhere else, essentially. So maybe that's what was deriving the cost. That was deriving the odds. And that focused on that. Um, another article that I have is that it focuses on the expected values and variances in bookmaker payouts. And this is an article in which Pinnacle sponsored it to be open access, which means that anyone can access it. Most academic papers tend to sit behind the paywall or else um, they tend to be available only for academics because the university would have um, a subscription to the journal. But this particular paper, Expected Values and Variances in Bookmaker Payouts, is, has been sponsored by Pinnacle and it's available freely for anyone to download. And in that one, I focus on explaining what a betting margin is, how does a better, how does a bookmaker make profit, what is the variance in the profit that it can make, and sort of it sets up the standard. And what I 
create and the maths is high school mathematics. I mean, there's a few equations, but it is high school math. And there are simple examples to explain, you know, what an what a, what an accumulator is, what, when events are independent, when they're related, when they're de completely dependent. And I had to develop the paper because while I was doing my work on developing models and what have you, from an academic perspective, I couldn't find a paper which I just refer to to give out the basics. So that's a paper that gives out the basics on setting limits and odds. And there's also an article on Pinnacle that describes it. Um, that has led to some derivative papers. So because of another paper is on balancing the book. So in which we found that the only way that a betting company is certain of is the only way that the betting company is certain of the amount of profit without any fluctuation is if the number of if the amount bet on the odds is inversely proportional to the odds so for example if it has an odd of two um we, odd, odds if, if the odds are at two which are at evens i'm assuming i'm forgetting about the betting margin for a minute then half of the amount bet should be on that amount. So that has led to quite a number of, of uh, secondary articles, I said corollary articles, and one of them, for example, we're looking now at dutching criteria. Hopefully it will be it, it will be published soon. So dutching is when rather than betting against an event, you bet on against an outcome, you bet on all other possible outcomes. There's another paper in which we look at 160,000 odds, and we try to examine the long shot bias in essence, and the long shot bias describes that if you bet on long shots, you're likely to lose more money. And we use 160,000 odds over a number of bookmakers. And it's, it's quite a detailed article, but it's more a descriptive article of how the markets operate. Um, and finally, I guess with respect to betting, I quite like a paper in which it develops a solvency framework for a sports book company. So when you talk about insurance and banking, they need to have uh um they need so let me restart this part when you talk about insurance and banking every insurance and bank needs to have a solvency a solvency reserve and it's dependent on a particular usually prescriptive formula there's no such thing for sports book you need to reserve for everything basically but possibly you um, a sports book company might have bets that are um inversely proportional or negatively correlated rather than that. So they do not receive, need to reserve all the amount. Let me give an example, because it's easy to give a simple example. Let's say Pinnacle Sport, there's, there's a bookmaker. It has a game, Team A versus Team B. Let's say it's Team A winning draw or Team B winning. And some, and it has only two bets placed against it. In one case, in one case, the bet is on Team A winning let's say five euro and they would pay out 10 euro if so. In the other case, they placed a combination bet, an accumulator on team B winning and some other event. In this case, these two bets balance each other out. They, they can't both occur. That's scenario one. In scenario two, it again has two bets, one bet on team A winning and one bet on team A winning and some other event. In this case, um, if team A wins, the bookmaker is in bigger risk as a bigger risk so in these two cases the reserve for the bookmaker should be a bit different so i discussed that solvency from from an insurance perspective in a way i think we could probably do a, a full podcast on those papers individually by themselves but one of the one of the interesting things that jumped out to me when you were just kind of summarising them was two are, are probably quite fairly related, or the examples at least that you provided, and that was you talked about the inefficiencies and you used England at like a, a major soccer tournament, for example, and then this idea of of balancing the book. And is there do you kind of look at things as well on the basis that we have these these different bookmakers, obviously pinnacle kind of known as a like a market maker and quote unquote proper bookmaker that that has a risk profile that may choose to to take a position on certain teams based on them being overestimated by the market whereas others may be more intent on just establishing that profit and as you say balancing the book so do you look at different bookmaking approaches or is this just kind of like the betting industry in general for my personal betting no so I do not look at different markets. But if I see that you're out of line by quite a bit, 
I do take note. I mean, everyone takes note. And the thing is, Pinnacle and the Asian markets in general, but most, um, you tend to affect the market quite a lot when you adjust for the obvious reasons. I mean, most uh, typical bookmakers, they even have a limit on how much you can place a bet on. Um, with respect to being out of line on the market, I think markets have developed that the amount of money coming in, the amount of being bet, they tend to balance out. But what a better needs to be aware, even from Pinnacle's perspective, um, is that a bookmaker is not just interested in finding the truth, if it exists, it's interested in making profit, in balancing the demand, in balancing, in, in making a profit on every outcome. So even from Pinnacle's perspective, if you'd say you know the absolute truth of the probability of an event, but you have lots of bets on one side, you will adjust the bets accordingly. And most bookmakers, not Pinnacle definitely, uh, but most other bookmakers, they would balance out, even if they know the truth. Pinnacle, quite risk-taking, to be fair. And then that's why they have a lot of respect between different traders. When I talk with people who work in the trading industry in Malta, um, as I said, you know, most betting companies are registered here, yeah, including yourself. When you say, oh, I'm, I'm doing an article for Pinnacle, you see their eyes open because they know what Pinnacle represents. Um, and most other individuals, you know, what is Pinnacle? But, you know, it's, it's, you're very specific in that respect. So to answer your question, yes, I, you need, I, I, an individual needs to be very much aware that a bookmaker doesn't want just to show the truth. It just wants to make profit. And if everyone is betting on England, they will lower the odds on England using the same example as before. And most of your guys, they come from a gaming background. So they understand behavior more than they understand predicting mathematics, predicting the outcomes. They really care about where the odds will move. And talking about odds moving and the other the other thing that you mentioned there was the, the favorite long shot bias and the studies that you you did into that and assume it kind of substantiated the claims that obviously long shots are kind of overvalued by betters and, and favorites undervalued. But in addition to using data and activity and stuff to kind of look into that and why it happens, do you, are you also interested in the, the psychological element or as you said, the, the behavior element as to why betters behave that way? So it, it's been, there are many things that have been proven of almost as a fact. And one of them is we don't like losing money. So we, we don't, we tend to be very, um, very defensive, although that doesn't really explain betting in general. And all of us are very, we don't tend to understand small probabilities, you know, like very unlikely events. We find them very hard to believe not to believe, to understand, to comprehend. So using the same example as Leicester winning the league, it was almost incomprehensible because we've never seen it before. And I remember talking with someone who sides with Arsenal telling me, yeah, Arsenal has more chance. How come? We're five points ahead. We're playing better than you because we're a premiership winning team, which, I mean, I find it a bit laughable as well. But um, it's 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 uh, we don't really understand extreme events or whatever you want to call them, black swan events. Now, this is being used against betters in some respects. So, for example, right now we have quite a lot of combi bets rather than accumulators, combi bets on the same match. So, let's say, for example, you take um, Juventus, the prob you know, you bet on Juventus winning, Juventus scoring two goals in the first half, and Cristiano Ronaldo scoring a scissors, I mean, a scissors, a scissors kick or I don't know, a header or whatever you. Okay, so if you think about those three events separately, then the probability is is likely. I mean, yeah, Juventus scoring two goals in Serie A, yep, um, or in the first half, Juventus winning and Ronaldo scoring ahead. Yeah, it does make sense, you know. But when you join them all together, the probability of those three of three three outcomes occurring in the same event they're actually quite low. And what you'll notice is that many bookmakers are taking this as an advantage against betters who don't understand probabilities in general or find it weaker. Because um, and the bookmaker margin being offered on these type of combi bets is, you know, usually very, very, very high. That means you know expected profits of at least twice the amount, at, at least at least of at least of fifty percent. Let's say that while usually, if you take a typical market on Pinnacle, you're talking about five percent at best. 
six. Yeah, and I think the the clever thing with those is obviously that ability to to frame things in a way that people think that such and such a player, oh, he always gets a yellow card. I'll book on, I'll bet on him to get a yellow card. I'll bet on this player to have two shots on target because he's an attacker and he'll likely do that. But when you actually begin to look at it, and as you said, you you put those events together, like it's very unlikely that each and every one of them occurs in a in a ninety minute match, I guess. Yep, yep. It, it will occur at some point, but it's very hard for them to occur at the same point. And we find, um, in, in general, the, the to deal with a series of successive, successive events, we find it very hard to understand. I find it very hard to understand the same the, a succession of events. So when you're trying to predict all games over the weekend, it becomes close to impossible. And the possibility of making profit very low. But then on the other hand, some other extreme events, which are not a combination of events, we don't understand either. We tend to discount. So, for example, when you look at Brazil when they're in the home World Cup, you know, the odds were on them to win. But, I mean, again, hindsight is easy. To, to, in hindsight, it's easy to predict anything. But when you actually look at how they were playing, you know, they weren't top-notch. They had actually suffered throughout throughout most of the throughout most of the 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 tournament and i mean then when they met germany they actually you know it's it was the na- final nail in the coffin but they weren't really they weren't the brazil of pele and or romario that we were accustomed to seeing when they actually win world cups but we're so much used to it that sort of okay the bets weren't the bets weren't fair the bets weren't real and then it's, I can't. I guess what it is then is a process of it's. It's. I guess it's easier to discount what not to bet on rather than to find what to bet on. So using that as an example, if you were looking at kind of outright markets for that specific World Cup, you know that Brazil are, are shorter than they should be as, as a as a host nation. You know, as we said already, that England are probably overestimated by the the betting public but there's still so many other options to then begin to consider and do you think potentially for betters it's almost that the idea of trying to either do you do you discount one by one who shouldn't be considered or do you put the the investment and the research into finding that one team that should be considered how does that work or is it is it kind of the same thing effectively um it depends the approach you're taking. Some people take the approach of discussing things, and that way they would use either both of the approaches. If you're taking the model approach, what I would say is, let's let's go back to the errors issue. So let's say you have a number of errors. So when you're trying to predict something, you shouldn't give a one number. You shouldn't say the probability of Germany winning the next European Cup is 25%. It's not 25%. You should give a range. So the probability of Germany winning the next World Cup is 20 to 30%. And being specific you know like to the nearest decimal point doesn't help i i guess it's, it's my opinion so give a range based on these errors or give a range or it could be even a subjective range you don't need to use a model and then see whether your range matches the ranges i, w- I would say that approach makes sense makes more sense so um whether you're predicting who will win the next game or whether you're predicting whether you know who will win the World Cup or who will in the next US election, maybe Kanye West, um, you would, should, should sit back and think, what is the range of realistic probabilities? In the full awareness that for it comes to very small probabilities, like you know the 1% is the 0.5%, we really need to think a bit more and then see where to bet. I mean, for example, when I'm using different models, sometimes I get results that I bet on and I look at it and say, does it really makes sense to bet on this but i go for it anyway then i try to understand in hindsight um at times i don't understand in hindsight what might have 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 happened so i must be honest it takes ages i mean let's let me use last year's example last year um i bet on liverpool to win the league they took a year later and i bet i think when they had nine points difference or so um in December, so it wasn't that large, you know, it wasn't that at very good odds, and eventually Manchester City won the league last season. And when I looked again in hindsight, why I lost it, I couldn't understand. I mean, the, my only prediction, my understanding was, oh, Manchester City must have really. It was a one-off. It was a. It, they did so well that whatever they bet, however they bet, the market was wasn't was. In, was 
incredible. Um, same applies for, I say, World Cups or short tournaments. I would say create a range of results and see whether that range of results is beyond that, is is whether the odds are beyond it. And sometimes you might find that long shots might be worthwhile. I mean, the obvious case would be Leicester at 5,000 to 1 was definitely worthwhile. And and then to kind of do that, to put that into practice, let's say, as, as a better listening to this, and I'll use your example of, of Germany potentially winning Euro 2020, whatever it is. Um, so if you, if you have a, a distribution of, of probabilities across like 20 to 30%, where 25% does whether it's simulations or whatever, does show to be the most likely within that distribution. If you're comparing against a bookmaker's odds where they have provided the exact figure of their their calculation, do you is the approach to take the most the kind of the most likely of your distribution and use that as your benchmark to determine whether you have an edge? Is that is that how you should approach it if you're working out those those probabilities? It depends how comfortable you are with your model and how old your model is and how long you've been using it and how good the data is. So let's let's use the example of Germany. Um, when it comes to short events, it you know I mean the World Cup is held over a month, the European Cup is held over a month. Um, past performance is a good predictor of performance, but it's not as as a good, as much as a good predictor as say you know the Premier League, where you have the team playing week in week out. So Again, and that should be fed in your range of results. So I would feel more comfortable with a discrepancy of, let's say there's a discrepancy of 4% between what I predict and what the betting markets are saying. Um, the lazy way would say, you know, let's just do Skelly betting strategy, which is, I mean, I use it, but it's, it's, it's good. But then you need to be factoring, what about those 4%? Is it something that I'm very comfortable in or something that's not? And, you know, as I said, European Cup, World Cups, it, you, you can't feel very comfortable with it as much as, say, Premier League or Serie A. And the same, for example, Champions League, it's somewhere in the middle because if you're using attacking factors, you know, the team is playing in a different environment altogether. I mean, typical case would be Juventus. Juventus playing in the Champions League and Juventus playing in Serie A, it's a completely different team. You know, not completely different. It's a completely different set of statistics that you would expect from the team. Um, Liverpool tended to be a completely different team as well. They, you know, they tend to do not these past two years, but they didn't do very well in Champions League, but not so well in, in 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 Premiership. So you need to be aware. You need you have to be a bit subjective as well. So not just objective. And I think the case that makes think actually is a bit different than say financial statistician statistician is we start from a factor that maybe the, the absolute truth doesn't exist. You need to be a bit subjective. All right. Well, let's we'll be, we'll start to to wrap up. There's a couple of things I do want to ask you about that that kind of go back to to everything you've you've covered in this podcast, the the work you've done with Pinnacle, the the research papers and everything like that. And I think the one the one thing for me is the like where does the the motivation come from to do this work, to spend all this time trying to understand betting markets? You you've put a lot of great material out there. Obviously, it's taken a lot of time and resource to to produce that. Is it? Is it for you? I think some people see it as almost this challenge. It's a very tough nut to crack and you want to kind of help to, to understand it more or, or is it because of the, the financial reward that, that potentially could be involved later down the line? What, what is it that, that gets you into betting markets and producing all the work that you have? Um, so if we're talking about the pinnacle articles, I, the focus I used to take is if I find it of interest, I'll work on it. So there's no major decision to, you know, help individuals in general i guess if i used to find it interesting maybe someone else does as well so that's the focus i tend to do to 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 give to myself um and sometimes i think of myself what if what if i'm you know just starting out what would i need to know what would help me and i think that helps quite a lot but it also feeds in to my understanding because if you can't explain something in simple terms, I don't think you, ex- you understand it yourself. And the key challenge with writing articles for Pinnacle or let's say for a non-academic audience, you need to throw away the jargon. You cannot assume that someone comes you know, with a PhD in maths that understands all the equations. And you really need to keep it simple. But to keep it simple, you really need to understand yourself. 
So it, it, it actually helps me quite a lot. Most articles take one to two days to structure, to build, to write. But trying to write something which is a bit complex, like, you know, model errors in 700 words, trying to evade the words process error and what have you, not just saying process error, but explaining it using simple terms, it actually takes a lot of time and helps me understand. So I guess I learn, not I guess, I do learn a lot by writing it. And I get more actuaries contacting me about the pinnacle articles to connect on, to do insurance work. This wasn't the plan. This was never part of the plan. Then actually contacting me about my academic work. Which, which your 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 resources have really out, you know, they 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 are really out there, and I'm sometimes I'm amazed that individuals start reading my papers because they read the Pinnacle article, and I said, shouldn't it be the other way around in a way? And the, but the majority are like that, and it wasn't part of the plan to be fair, but it's 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 impressive how many people actually read different articles, and maybe they get inspired as well. And if the I mean, I know you said that the intention isn't to to kind of go on this crusade of of helping individuals, and that's obviously just just happened by chance, and for for those articles being there in the audience that we've got. But does it is there any kind of element of frustration on your behalf when you see betters failing to understand or failing to take on board the kind of stuff that you put out there? Is it? Like, is it more that this stuff needs to reach a wider audience? Is it the, the the kind of concept of betting and what it is to be successful and all these tips and stuff that come out kind of cloud what what betting is really about and what you actually need to do to be successful? How do you kind of feel about like the the general approach to betting, if you will? Okay, let, let's let's assume that there are different types of betters. Some betters bet casually. And their intention is to bet casually. The intention is, for example, when you set an accumulator over the weekend, trying to guess 20 games or what have you, you know, just bet five, a fiver and then in the end you might win a million or what have you. You're just buying a lottery in a way. I mean, you're not really betting on on, on outcomes. So those are types, that types of betters. I guess it's not frustration. I sometimes find it funny. I mean, right now gyms mostly are closed. But when you're at the gym, you change again. You're hearing individuals talk not technically, you know, I'm betting on, I'm vending Manchester United because their average goals are, and I'm just sitting there usually and just biting my tongue because, you know, I mean, there is inside information. You see quite a lot of individuals who set bets, but they're thinking they're doing it logically, uh, but they're not. And I'm not saying there's one way of doing it and it's my way, you know, or, you know, someone else's way. There are many ways of approaching it, but I think understanding what the market, how the market works will make you a better, better. Because there's no point in complaining and not doing well or or not earning enough. The thing is, for example, a simple case is in the long run, if you you will, you should lose money. That's that's the case. So if you, as you said earlier, if you if you're betting with some bookmakers and you're losing less than five percent, you're probably doing good in the long run. But another thing would be choose your bookmaker cleverly, um, and it's very easy to search. So those are sort of, I wouldn't call them frustrations. I could have little annoyances. So what about my work? How could it reach a general? Firstly, there's a lot of good work out there. On, on I think since 2014, there's been quite a lot more being developed. Um, I think something that might help is, and I would like to work on it, one of two cases is either something that links it all together. So if you want to look at Okay, it's not the same, but property investing, you'll find a book about property investing. If you want to look for analytics in whatever, you usually tend to find a comprehensive, not say necessarily a textbook, a comprehensive set of resources in which the link is clearly built. You know, you do this first, you do this next, you do, do you know, do you have the skill? I think that would be great in betting. Now, whether it's a formal academic structure in which you know you have to do a set of exams or else a resource like Khan Academy, I would love to work on something like that because you have to stop, they have to think back and see what skills are required because betters are coming from a different angles of skills. I mean, some betters come from an angle that they are, they have maths graduates or they're very comfortable with maths. So they know what a chi-squared is. They know how to apply it, but some don't. 
while some of the betters they come from a from a perspective that they really know the markets but they don't know the math so something that be able to formally combine the two yeah and i i think to be honest the the general kind of perception within the industry is this i think the betters are maturing or they're becoming more more data aware should we say and understanding how statistics can can help you make accurate predictions versus like your personal opinion or or your read on the game if if you want but what do you think do you kind of do you see that development and what do you think that the future has in store for for betting in general do you think bookmakers will get more efficient more towards kind of like pinnacle or do you think they'll veer further away and and kind of cater to that profit making audience like we said with these more examples of like these curated bets that kind of seem likely but are very unlikely and people are just I don't say taken being taken advantage of but people are failing to understand the actual probability of of what Um, they're being offered most academics would say that that's taking advantage of of individuals taking advantage of of, uh, and there I mean I can't I won't mention this because I didn't ask for his permission but I know two particular academics they work a lot on this area they can they're behavioral psychologists and they say this is cheating individuals this is really cheating individuals because when I buy a packet of cigarettes I'm giving you know data about it if I buy you know a packet of sweets I know the nutritional information but why don't I get the odds why don't I get the actual probabilities when I'm buying odds for example which is a small thing but I think part of it is also led by regulation. So, uh, you know, new markets are developing all the time, are opening up, and some big traditional players, they might be pushing that there are limited licenses, you know, usually on the excuse to protect the customer. But if there's, let's take Country X, and Country X is opening up the markets online because right now it's an unregulated market. People are betting online anyway, so let's make it that you know people need to get a license. You know, the companies need to get a license. If the regulation moves towards having one, you know, a limited number of licensees, five, there will, I mean, you're giving the control to these five individuals, to these five companies. So some companies might not opt for it. You know the thread, the the ones that tend to sell these kinds of unfair bets will move into there. So I guess regulation has an effect. I don't have a particular opinion which way it will go, but my fear is that it will go more in that case and more of more unfair combi bets. There are, I think, the big the a big future for betting markets is esports. And I'm not an ex. I don't understand esports that much, to be fair. But forget about COVID-19. Uh, if you see a younger generation, you see that people talk actually of what, not what they were playing. You know what professional esports playing players did. And I notice in some students, I teach 18 to 22 year. Well, 18 to 28 year olds. But I teach a class of first year at university, and I can see as the the gaming cohort is becoming bigger. And I don't mean just recreational gamers. I mean individuals who actually follow people who are gaming, who are who are playing online. So I think esports will is is a big niche. Well, not a niche anymore. Pinnacle has been on it for quite a number of years, though, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think. Pinnacle offered esports odds over a decade now, and that's I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think it's also interesting that the esports audience. We talked about this mindset and and kind of how someone like an actuary thinks versus how like a, a sports fan maybe thinks. But I can tell you now, an esports better is very different to your traditional soccer fan. I think because the the, the way the esports work and there's a lot of things around like these map vetoes and like you said like the the game theory or the behavioral stuff and it's almost like esports fans uh, have like this this inbuilt betting mindset that that make them a lot better suited to to betting rather than like a sports fan per se but probably another another interesting one for another podcast we could go into all sorts of detail about that um but for for you then dominic the the last question from me would just be I think you maybe alluded to it earlier when you said some kind of material that that ties everything together. But but what do you want to do in the future? Well, you, you've had quite an interesting career as it is. You said you've got that that passion for the betting markets and you've done the betting analyst stuff. Um, you, you're well into the academia and the lecturing and things like that. So where do, where do you want to go from here? 
So from a personal perspective, I'm quite interested in InsureTech right now. Um, I don't, not only just me, I mean, because insurance is bound to change quite a bit, hopefully. Um, right now, how is an insurance process? You go, usually you're forced to buy insurance, you know, you're, because to drive a car, you need insurance, or maybe you have a loan, so you need to be forced to buy a, a health policy, a, a life policy or what have you. But usually that's the process. You buy a policy, uh, then nothing happens, then a claim happens, and then, you know, all of a sudden, you go to the insurer and the insurer might tell you no because you didn't hit this criteria. Uh, that's bound to change. And I think that's a quite, quite exciting space in insurance. For example, right now it's very easy to install humidity sensors at home. So if you're doing a home insurance, it should be a property insurance, should be more, uh, there should be more discussion. So it's not just an insurance. You have a protection before it. I mean, as I said the, earlier, wearable devices, if you have an irregular heartbeat, I can probably tell you before the problem occurs. So these kinds of things, I'm very excited about seeing how our profession as an actuaries will change because uh, they big data, people who know big, how to deal with big data, they, they are enroaching in our area. And that's great, actually, because it helps us develop. With respect to betting, uh, as I alluded earlier, I think the lacuna right now is um, a set of resources, a set of linked resources. I mean, Pinnacle's resources are great, are amazing, and, and, and they are very much linked as well. But where does someone start? It's a bit difficult. So I think I would like to work on something that, you know, someone comes from a maths background, they know the maths, what do they need to become a basic, you know, basic trader. What is the minimum criteria reached? Or someone who has an interest in sports, they hate maths, they don't like maths. What is the minimum idea that they need to learn? So either, I don't know whether it should be better in a textbook, in a set of linked articles, in, an, in a developed, in a learning program, but the skill set of a trader, because we're moving there, not just the skill set of a trader to beat the market. It's a it possibly work in the area as well. Um, I think that's something that I'm quite, I've, I've had in the back of my mind for quite a long while now, and I would like to work on it. Well, Dominic, it's it's been great to have you on. I, I can't believe we've, we've waited so long. I said in the intro there that you, you first did an article for Pinnacle in 2014. So, so why we've left it so long, I, I really don't know. But I had high expectations based on the the work that you've done and it you, you certainly didn't disappoint so I appreciate the time you've taken out of your day and and I'm sure our listeners will as well so thank you very much uh, thank you for inviting me and I look forward to the next article remember to follow at Pinnacle on Twitter if you don't already if you want to read more about what's being discussed on today's podcast or read some of Dominic's articles then head over to the betting resources section on the Pinnacle website thanks for listening and bye for now <laughs>